Hi, and welcome to Unlimited, the podcast platform that gives voice to remarkable mothers and women from the Arab world to inspire, engage, and drive growth. For this new episode of our Unlimited Groundbreaking series, we're thrilled to host a guest speaker who embodies the true essence of our platform, Nima Abuarde. Nima is a mother, an expert, and one of the most inspiring and energetic people we ever met. She's an award-winning broadcast journalist. She's regarded as an opinion leader. She's approached by think tanks, by the corporate world, and by government entities for her insight. Nima regularly chairs and is a speaker at regional and global gatherings, and has worked alongside the United Nations and the World Economic Forum. Throughout her career, Ms. Abuade dedicated herself to enable people to empower themselves. And this is why she recently created the She Strategy, a practical program keeping women seen, heard, empowered. So here she comes. Hi, Nima, and welcome to Unlimited. Hello, Daniela. I am thrilled to be here. Well, I am thrilled to have you with us. And I can already feel from your energy that this is going to be a very unique podcast session. So let's get started. In your profile, you describe yourself very simply as a person, a parent and a pupil. But tell us why. What the strategy behind this very humble approach? Oh, well, um, you know what? The idea of me being a person first uh, only came to be <laughs> in my recent life. So, for example, uh, when I had my child, I was always a mother first in, in many, many ways, right? And this idea of being a person first is so important because, uh, on the one hand, especially women and women who are either mothers or care for other people, are responsible for the well-being and welfare and food, perhaps for other people. It's this idea of, wait a minute, if you are not okay, if you are not caring for yourself as a person, then you can't help anyone. So that's one aspect of this. The other aspect is actually, we are all, I believe, people first. So before gender, before race, before any other layer of information, we are all people. And I would like us to view each other as, oh, that is a person first, meaning sometimes a, um, a gender issue is, oh, you know, this is a women's issue or, uh, oh, no, we've got a woman who manages this with the idea that, oh, because you belong to the same gender, then we all understand the same language, challenges, nuance that is not true you can have a woman leading a company but the women who are in the company are not enabled or empowered uh, are not able to stay in their work situation because the system within the company doesn't allow them to do that so my point is that woman at the top is a person first just because she happens to be a woman doesn't mean that she can get into the mindset of other women. So that's, I hope I've answered your question. So it's really important. We are people first, but I'm a person, parent and pupil. The other big idea I think for women is this. There are 24 hours in a day, right? So how do we use them and what takes priority? When you are a parent who travels, does stuff, um, maybe sometimes works non-traditional hours, right? How then do you deal with being a parent, being a partner, right? We can't do everything 100% every day. 
So really, it's about taking a step away from that and not beating yourself up and saying, all right, three days this week, I was a great parent. Two days this week, I was a great partner. <laughs> you know, one day this week, I was a pupil. So it's that idea of breaking things up and saying, being forgiving with yourself, you know, allowing yourself to say, all right, I didn't hit that target. I wasn't a great parent today. But you know what? Over the course of the week, I'm going to be a great parent many, many days, right? So it's that idea of we are all more than one thing and it's okay to swap them around and for the different things that you are to take priority on different days with the bigger thought that you then are that most important thing for the majority of the time. I love it. So it's no longer the four C's, it's now becoming the four P's. And we could even slot in partner and priorities and get the six P's. Well, I mean, you know, um, it's, it's so many P's because it's the idea of, uh, it, it, it comes down to um, the core of four, which is we are all people. So person, in my case, parent, um, pupil, because really I believe that we, we will all thrive if we approach life and situations through the lens of, oh, what am I learning here? What can I learn? What can I take away, right? Which isn't always great in the moment if it's a bad situation, but to be able to have that um, lens at some point, uh, because of course it means also that you're curious and you want to find out more about things and so on. Um, and, and the issue of priorities, because priorities will change with phases of life, right? Priorities will change with the phase of the day, with the phase of the week, but definitely with phases of life. We see how incredible you are in telling stories and Unlimited is all about stories. So Nima, tell us your story, but not just the official one. Give us something unedited and unpublished about your story. I suppose it's not so much about my story, but about my realizations. Okay. And my realizations are that whose agenda is it anyway is a huge one. Meaning how, look, we're all going to die, right? So how do you want to live? That's a key anchor point. How do you want to live? So it could be, how do you want to live daily? Uh, do you want to have certain things that you have access to and can have the option of doing daily because that brings you daily joy? Uh, for example, for me, getting on my bike is so important to me. Very important. Being able to uh, walk places, very important. These are things that are part of my daily joy. So that's a huge issue of realizing how to make deliberate decisions and choices in life, as opposed to you are running, running, consuming life. And then you realize, wait a minute, well, how did that happen? It's now a year later, six months later, five years later. What did I do with that time? Time is our most precious thing. It's the one thing you can't buy. It's the one thing we consume constantly. We can't stop consuming it. And it is about literally drilling down to how do I want to spend my precious, precious time? So for me, it's more a case of my series of realizations. It's a lot of it is actually stating the obvious. You know, none of this is rocket science, right? But the big question is how many people live it, right? That's a huge thing. How many people live deliberately? thinking things through. It does not mean controlling things. I believe we do not control anything, by the way. And yeah, so it is, it's born of many things. It's born of, um, I was in the media, meaning on, on TV for, oh, I think a couple of decades. 
and uh, a lot of travel, a lot of chasing, a lot of stress and pressure and delivering to a very tight deadline in various roles. And the big thought that I come away with is whose agenda is it anyway? I was serving somebody else's agenda for years. Now is a time when I want to serve my own agenda. How, what do I mean by that? I mean, I have figured out what is important to me, what is important for me to be doing, and I am doing that, right? So that is a huge thing. And I invite people, especially women, to really think about this. It doesn't mean that they're going to be able to do it straight away, but to think about it and to build it into their system for thinking, being, living, doing. And do you think that this is possible and achievable at any point in life, or does it only come as a result of a career spam or with a greater maturity or experience level? So, you know, um, Daniela, that's a really good point. Um, I think the truth is that if we as people, right, going back to person, being a person, if we give ourselves the permission, oh, another P, permission, the permission to sit, think, be, observe, dive, delve, you know, so, so instead of being busy, the busyness of things and mindlessness, meaning, oh, I graduated. Oh, look, I've got a job. Oh, great. Okay. Oh, I want that job. Oh, I want to be doing that, you know, that kind of thing. But to actually sit and think, hmm, what am I about? What is really important to me and for me? How would I like to live? How would I like to be spending my precious time? And I'll give you an example of, of how. I don't think it has to be after a, a long career in whatever it is. I have, in the course of my lifetime, met some absolutely amazing people. And there are young ones, old ones, in-between ones, right? Age is not the issue. These are people who, it is living deliberately. They make deliberate decisions around things. There's a young lady, she was not even, she was still a teenager when I met her. She was doing a lot of work around the, uh, in the space of um, sustainability and so on. I was um, chairing a huge event in actually in Abu Dhabi, uh, ooh, was it 2015, I can't remember when. And it's called uh, Eye on Earth. The UN was involved, um, many, many huge global organizations were involved and people who were doing the work were there. So that's how I met this wonderful person. She was doing this straight out of school, you know. Uh, we have people all around us, if you look and actually start delving into this space, who are still at school, teenagers, in their 20s, and, and then, you know, 30s, 50s, whatever, 80s even, who start living deliberately. It is not um, a result of having had a career it's a result of just giving yourself the space the time the stillness really of figuring out a few things and then I'm calling this the great DIY moment do it yourself right it's the ultimate thing do it don't wait for somebody else to do it you start doing it so yeah it I think the default mode of people who've had careers is would be to say oh I'm really 
happy that I did this because, you know, if I hadn't done all these things, then I wouldn't arrive at this point, which of course is true because that's the only life that that person knows, right? Same with me. My life and where I am at the moment is the only life I know. But looking around and being factual, seeing how many young people who have not had what we call a career doing remarkable stuff and inventing a life, career, work for themselves is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So both is the answer. (laughs) (laughs) And what I found brilliant is your energy, your confidence, your charisma. But uh, tell us, Nima, is this just purely about DNA or are these skills coachable? Uh, I believe it's the following. One, it is another C word. The C word that I use is comfortable. When somebody is comfortable with what they will be talking about, with how they will be when they do that, with the prep, the presentation, whatever, you know, when you're comfortable, the rest takes care of itself. And in fact, it's not confidence that comes out. It's a sense of presence. Wow. You know, and we call it in our loose language, we use the word confident and confidence very loosely. Now, the reason I do not use that word is because, one, how do you define it? How do you actually, you know, say, mm, we know it, but we can't really drill down. What does it mean if you, if you look at the nuts and the bolts of a person? More importantly, though, the reason I really don't like it is because it is used to hit women over the head with, meaning, ah, she's not confident. You know, she lacks confidence. Women, you know, increase your confidence. Do this, confidence. And I'm just thinking, stop saying that. Stop telling women they are not confident, that they must be confident. It actually is about breaking that down into what does it mean? How can I do it? How can I be it? And give me the skills and tools to be that thing that comes across as what we call confident, right? So having fantastic presence. And really for me, you know what it is? It's about people remembering you even when you're not there. You know, thinking of you because of something you do brilliantly well. And they think, oh yeah, Daniela, she's really good. I remember Daniela, she's the one. It's your presence, for me, that is actually more important than what is loosely called confidence. And talking about being comfortable, have you always been so comfortable? I won't say confident now. Or um, were there any situations, uh, any conference, any event uh, where you find yourself not comfortable? And uh, how did you manage the situation? Who, me? Ah, okay. I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. Um, First of all, I will never do something if I don't know what I'm talking about. I think that's a really, not I think that is a really important thing, right? So um, people, I've seen people who, I'll take a step back. One of the things that I do is I chair, moderate, uh, speak at events, conferences, huge things, right? And when I'm on stage, I get to get a front row seat to what works and what doesn't work. Meaning when people tank, you know, oh my goodness, they lost that opportunity. Or when they are brilliant, right? And uh, unfortunately for some people, they have to step in at the last minute, for example, and read somebody else's speech or 
go through a presentation that they didn't put together themselves, that kind of thing. That is terrible, really. Never do that to yourself. You have to own the information. That's a key, key thing. So I, will, I would never do something where I did not drill down, do my homework, research, know what I'm talking about, and so on. Because that is where your comfort comes from, from knowing, oh, I'm fine. I can talk about these things. I know a lot about them, da-da-da-da-da, right? Um, to the extent that you become a little detective, right? You actually research every single person and you know all the stuff, the good news, the bad news, the question marks or whatever about every single thing that's going to be brought up at the, at the event. Whether you say it or not is, is irrelevant. It's about having that comfort of knowledge and facts and figures that you can call upon and I, I like to say that these are your friends, your new best friends that you can lean on, right? <laughs> so yes, uh, that, that's my big thing. So I am not not co comfortable or confident in that situation. And it's about learning when to say no. So for example, I was once um, going to be announcing uh, winners at some event and the organizer was very panicked and extremely... Um, yeah, panicked is a good word, and wanted me to walk on stage to announce something, but we didn't have the information for it. So the person panicking could not see beyond one thing, which is we have to get somebody on stage right now to, to do something to prove that we are on top of this. Yeah. Don't allow yourself to be put in a situation where you don't have key information where you are filling a gap that is impossible to fill, if that makes sense. You know, you can't invent key information in certain situations. You have to know it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, my point is, I am happy saying no. <laughs> it's a really important thing. I totally agree. It's important to say no. It's important to be firm when needed, but it's also important to remain respectful. So as an opinion leader, what the formula that allows you to remain a diplomatic and politically correct? Because this applies at all levels, at work and in our daily life. Well, you know, you're assuming that I'm a very diplomatic person, so uh, <laughs> some people might disagree. But um, no, I do understand what you're saying. Look, um, that's, a, again, a really good question, Daniela, because there's a difference between... Again, this is about being deliberate in your decision making. If somebody is a moderator at a conference, for example, yeah, or chairing at a conference, they can take the role of simply announcing people, sessions, things going on, right? And not going into things that could be controversial. And so, you know, being really just middle, just staying on that very tight line of only talking about things that everybody's happy about. I don't agree with that because I believe, as we said, the most valuable asset is our time. So I want to respect the time of people in the audience who've come all the way, who have, you know, they're sitting there, they're waiting, they're, they're, they want to take something away. And there is usually a huge elephant in the room or issue that's going on. So there is a difference between ignoring the real issues because, oh, I don't want to embarrass anybody or I don't want to get, you know, it's, it's controversial. And between 
bringing it up in a way that is not confrontational and not accusatory, right? So it could be literally in the way you form the statement, you know, it is known that, it is said that, so it's about not accusing a person, you did, unless, of course, that person is very responsible for a situation, in which case it's, again, how you say it. It's not about being confrontational, but it is about being, for me, factual and not treating people like they are idiots. You know, people know what's going on, right? So don't disrespect them by not saying something that everybody needs to hear, yeah, that it's said or that it's referred to. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. It depends, again, on how you position yourself. So, for example, if you are somebody who wants to simply be, you know, the person who, who, who like I said, is part of the organizing system, you know, I'm going to call people's names up and they're going to sit in the chair and I'm going to go through, you know, the predetermined questions. Personally, I wouldn't do that. That doesn't appeal to me at all because it actually, I believe it damages my reputation, to be perfectly honest, because you're not being real. You are being part of, um, you know, you, you are buying into the system you're not saying what's really going on. And I have said things and asked questions that afterwards people have come to me and said, oh, that was really, you know, we don't talk about that here, for example. But of course, there'll be 20 other people right exactly after that person saying, thank you for saying that. We've been waiting for somebody to bring this up for years, right? So I guess that this means that whether you're on stage among the audience or in any other life situation, it's important in certain circumstances to raise your hand ask that question and raise your voice and speak up. Absolutely. Or, I mean, let's be really honest now, sometimes they're not given the opportunity because mm. some sessions do not allow Q&A. And that's another thing. I don't, I don't, um, I mean, I've been put in situations in the past where I've been told that there is live Q&A and then when I show up, suddenly that disappears, you know, and it's usually because there's a contentious issue. But actually, I, uh, I like, it has, it's about dialogue. And it is about allowing and enabling people in the audience to engage, participate and have their say. Absolutely. And this brings me beautifully to our next topic, your she strategy, where she stands for seen, heard, empower, she. So simple and so deep. Look, I, I have lived life not realizing that I'm female, if that makes sense, meaning I'm just a person, right? But I happen to be female. And um, it's not something that I've ever gone around saying, oh, my goodness, I'm female, and therefore, blah, blah, blah. However, a few things happened, uh, actually, towards the end of 2018, specifically, but also, you know, over the years, that made me really take note that women, and I'm talking averages here, so I'm not talking about one person who gets to be the CEO, because there's only one CEO of a company, right? I'm talking about what I call the silent majority. The majority of women in, in, in the what's called the developed world and developing world will at some point in their life work in a corporate structure, okay? They might not stay there, but at some point they will have that as part of their journey. So, this is the silent majority because they are the ones who get stuck at certain levels, get stuck and leave work altogether 
get stuck and leave to another place of work that promises a better situation that suits their circumstance at that point and so on. A few things happened. One was um, I was training top executives as a multinational to participate in a global annual event that they were sponsoring. And it was huge, you know, again, very, very uh, a big deal for them. And there was one woman in the room and I very rarely, actually, I don't work with women. You see, this is the irony here uh, in that sort of situation. It's, it's 99% men. And she was in the room and I thought, oh, okay. So I noticed her because I realized I don't work with women. And she is the VP for, um, well, let's call it a STEM-ish type part of the, of the firm. So science and tech. And she was being, well, rolled out. She was going to participate in one panel discussion. And the panel discussion was about diversity and inclusion. Okay. And not about her zone of genius, what her great work is all about. So that was the first thing. I thought, mm, okay, that's not great. And I just said to her, this was at the height of Me Too and Equal Pay, by the way. I said, if I was sitting in the audience, I would ask you one question and it would tell me everything about the company. And the question would be, are you paid the same as your male counterpart, right? And the silence was deafening. And that was the answer. The answer is no, she is not paid the same. And so from my perspective, two things happened that day. One was just because she's female, you know, it doesn't mean that she's brilliant at something. Why aren't you showcasing that? Why is she being put out there as the female? Look, we employ women in our company. We respect the women. And look, she can tell you all about it, right? (laughs) But this woman isn't paid the same as her male counterpart. You know, so she can't advocate for herself, really. That's what it boils down to, yeah? And uh, that was a huge shift for me personally, where I thought, it's not okay. Uh, This is not okay. And I am going to do something about it. That was the first thing. And then literally days later, I was in another room, another huge global company, who is a signatory to he for she, by the way, with the UN. And they had an event for the women that they work with. Uh, they were, it's a huge organization. So they'd flown in the women um, saying, oh, we would like you to step up to general management and beyond. And I, so I was chairing this. It was over a couple of days. And the women, the majority of the women were silent. So this is an event for the women in this organization putting them saying, we want to support you. We want this at the other. They were not, they weren't going for it. And there was an unease in the room about around certain things. And one of the sessions was, as so many of these things are, uh, a, a sort of show and tell. So a mini pitch, you know, you have a passion project, tell us about it in three minutes. We're going to choose where to spend the budget, whose passion project gets to, to, to win, for example, you know, the typical sort of thing. And that was the, the third layer. So the first layer was that the woman VP was not paid the same. She couldn't self-advocate, basically. Yeah. But she was being rolled out as a token. Look, of course, we value and support and whatever else. Mm. The second layer is the silent majority, this, this silence in the room, even though their issues were being discussed Yeah, as women. And how do you step up and what is it that you're concerned about? And then the third layer is the people who did the presentations 
there are some people who will always be great at speaking and capturing your attention and you want to go for their project, right? But that doesn't mean that their project is the best one. And other women who got up to speak had fantastic projects, but they were not great at showcasing them. So that was my third layer, which is stop. My third realization was stop telling women to do stuff, but not providing the skills, tools and knowledge for them to be able to do it. Yeah, so important. So I went away and I invented what I call the she strategy, which is keeping women seen, heard, empowered. It is literally a toolbox. So it starts with, you know, who are you? Where are you stuck? Uh, what are you the go-to person for? And goes on from there to, all right, then I have something to say. This is how I can say it. Literally, how do you choose your words to suit the occasion? Why? In fact, the words are usually the, 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 the when, we, when we watch people in action on stage, for example, the words that they say are not the things that influence us most. It's literally, it's, it's how they are when they're saying it. Yeah. It's that sense of presence. Ooh, I remember that person. And I remember that one really important message that they had as opposed to every single word and all the stuff that people try to do, which is just stuff presentations full of information, right? That means that nobody remembers anything or, or very, very little. So literally, I've just taken a big step away from um, the what I see people doing and have seen them for, for decades, what they do on stage, what they do during an interview with TV or, um, you know, when being interviewed for in any media situation. And I've simplified it and created building blocks for people to use. Now, I use these building blocks when I when I work with anyone, man or woman. The difference between that and she strategy is that she strategy also has a layer of information that is specific to women. So, for example, uh, the world is full of surveys and studies and research. You know, PwC found that women do blah, blah. You know, Bain and Co. have brought out the latest research on why women get stuff. Great. Hallelujah. Nobody actually sits down and brings it all together and says, oh, PwC has found that. This company's found that. Uh, LinkedIn has found this. So what does it mean and what can we do about it? From my perspective, and I'm really sorry, Danielle, I know I'm speaking a lot. It is about being practical, which is module one, be practical, and saying, okay, so this is what you are likely up against. This is how you need to be if you want to showcase your brilliance and be remembered for the right reasons and then chosen as a result, right? And here is the toolbox for you to make it happen. Ta-da! So people leave the She Strategy with a blueprint that is made up of the, literally, the templates, the cheat sheets, the worksheets that they go through. It's like, it's your guide. It's your guide for the different phases of life. It'll really help you make deliberate decisions around things and literally be able to choose what words to, to suit each occasion so that you can influence whoever you are speaking with. It could be your partner in life, your teenage child, people at work, or your peers in industry. It doesn't matter. It's the same 
core principles of how do I communicate, get out and across something that is really important to me in a way that resonates with whoever I'm speaking with. So I get buy-in from them, which means that you increase the chance of change happening, the change that you need so that you can either stay on your path to your ambition and ability or stay sane <laughs> in your private life or, you know, whatever that thing is, right? There you go, in a nutshell. Wow. And that's where the strategy comes in. But is this applicable to women of all ages and career stages? Or do you target a specific market, profession or seniority level? You know, and again, it, it, these are all fantastic questions. So um, <laughs> at the risk of sounding insane, this is about enabling women at whatever phase of life they're in because these skills and tools, and I call them core skills, they are core to your best life, to having your best life, right? We need them, all of us. We need to revisit them. We need to remind ourselves, even if we do know some of them, of how to do it and to do it in a different way and to do it in a way that is means that it is sustainable for us, right? Uh, so it is about women, full stop. Now, if you are a woman who is middle management and beyond and you want to what I call accelerate, you know, so you want to do it and you want to go to the next thing and you want to really nail something, then there are, you know, personally what I do is I always have the fundamental foundation as she strategy. And then there are layers of options that come on top, which is time with me or uh, the accelerator program, which means small group um, Think of it as a mastermind, you know. So it all has to start from one key ingredient, which is the how do I do this? How do I get to be seen and heard and put it all together so I can enable myself and become, you know, empowered and have a plan for my next step? Because at the end of the she strategy, the last module is um, be what's next, okay? And the idea there is be and have. By the way, when you combine be and have, you have behave. Did you know that? Yeah. So that's the, <laughs> that's the module. And the big thought there is, you know, so you've done all this work. Great. You've taken stock. You've done the da-da-da. Now, where is your big I made it and ambition? Where are you headed towards? If you want that thing for yourself, you need to actually have the knowledge, skills, you know, so you need to start doing that and speaking the language that goes with it. So you need to be it, right? And have the skills, tools, knowledge, and behave it. You bring the two together. Be, have, behave. And it is that future, okay, I want to be there. So I need to start being that now. Does that make sense? That's incredible, Nima. Thank you for that. And uh, what recommendation would you have for women throughout their career progression? There are two huge thoughts as well, which I would like to get across. One is, it doesn't matter how brilliant you are, how many degrees you have, what your track record is, what you're capable of. None of this matters if, one, people don't know about it. Yeah. So that's huge. But two, if you can't sustain it, what do I mean? Imagine you win a project. Hooray, woohoo, party. And then six months or two years or six years down the line, you are broken. 
<laughs> because you can't sustain that level of something, that level of travel, work, hours, whatever that thing is. So the big, what I would love people listening to this to take away is two things. One is, it is so important to sustain your version of success. So in that one sentence, there are two ideas. One is, you define what success is for you. And in an ironic way, actually, we've come full circle, Daniela, which is back to the beginning of our conversation. You know, what is your success? What is that? Be deliberate. Whose agenda is it? All these things that we spoke about earlier. Decide what your version of success is. It could be at one phase of life, my success is being able to put my child to bed every night. Yeah, at that phase of life. In a different phase of life, your success is that you want to start your own business. In a different phase of life, your success is that you want to, I don't know, uh, be a public speaker. So life changes. Your definition of success will change with life. I encourage people to actually think about this and to define their current definition of success. That's one. Two, it is useless if you can't sustain it. So it means if it's putting your child to bed every evening, that is your, your measure of success at the moment. It's having the workplace and environment and safety, safety, being safe enough to say, I need this at this phase of my life. And I want you to enable me to do this. Because guess what? If I leave you, you will have to spend maybe a year's worth of my salary to replace me. And that person who replaces me is going to take around 28 weeks to be optimally productive. That's a lot of money for you to spend when you can just say to me, hey, yes, actually, let's embrace this. You can leave an hour or two earlier every day during this phase of life. Do you see what I mean? So it's, it's having putting context and saying, this is my definition of my current success. This is how it can happen. And knowing the facts and the figures to enable you to have that conversation but not in a non-confrontational way, it's not about fighting. It's about actually showcasing, right, realities and getting buy-in. So that, that, that's the one big thought. You must su sustain your version of success. The other big thought is don't die broke. <laughs> oh, dear, that sounds brutal. Why would that be? So we are told, ah, the pay gap is... We're told it's 80%, right? So women, in theory, earn 80 cents to the dollar, correct? That's what we're told. This is not true because of I'm interested in, in defining things. Let's deconstruct that. The pay gap relates to data gathered when, when these people who gather the data go into a place of work and look at whoever is working at that point in time. So, for example, if you had somebody who joined the workforce, then took a gap because she had a child or because her parent is ill or whatever the reason is, she's not taken into account. She's not part of the data collection, which means it is the women who are working who, are, who earn 80 cents to the dollar. But if we look at women in general in life, it is a very different situation. If we look at facts, there's something called the Household Panel Study. It's the world's longest running um, study. 
started in 1968 with 8,000 people. It is still ongoing with the original ones if they're alive and their descendants. So these we're talking about thousands and thousands of people. And they did a 15-year uh, data collection point to see what percentage. So, so you've got men and women earning, um, because we all have to, unless you're a fund, uh, a trust fund child, you need to earn to live, right? So you need the money in, coming in. They looked at how much women earned and how much men earned and to find out the ratio of what women earned compared to men. And do you want to take a guess? Well, I'd say 30%, but I might be too optimistic, I'm afraid. Women, on average, earned 49% of what men did over a 15-year period. We're talking about every type of job, every type of industry, every level. So, in other words, it's real lives, real people, real numbers, not projecting and predicting, and not only looking at people who are earning at the point that data is gathered. It is the, a reflection of reality, 49%. Some of those women will have taken time off. Some of those women will be full-time leaning in, no children. So it's, again, an average of reality, okay? Yeah, and that stinks. That's not okay. That is why women are 80% more likely to be uh, poor at 65. Women are three times more likely to live below the poverty line in their 70s. So what that means is that you, me, people that we know, the majority of us, even people like you and me, right, will be poor in our later years. Why? Because of well, various issues. But one, any time taken off, not working to earn. Two, when we are working, we earn less. So, again, I believe in choice and informed choice. Women need to be able to choose what's right for their life, for their values, for their circumstance. My hope and belief is that if women know the realities and the real truth, you know, <laughs> around what it means when you take time off, it doesn't mean that they won't take time off. It means that when they look to take time off, they will approach it differently. For example, they will negotiate with their place of work. I want a sabbatical. I want a sabbatical for six months, two years, whatever, for this reason. But a sabbatical is not you leaving work altogether. You have your entry point kind of predestined, okay? It means that when you are working, you lean into what I call your earning potential. What do I mean? It means that you're at work anyway, right? You're working, you're showing up, you're getting dressed, you're getting there, you're doing the work. So why on earth are you not putting your hand up and saying, hey, I want that project. I want that promotion. I want to do that, blah, blah, blah. So that when you do work, you lean into your earning potential. It's, it's about approaching things in a deliberate way that you offer how it can happen, right? So in other words, be part of the solution. You know, there was a uh, wonderful story with a young um early on in her career, a man and a woman work at the same place. The woman found out that this is all real, by the way. Yeah, not me making it up. The woman found out that her male counterpart was being paid more than her. Now, in many places, the me they'll be like, shut that person down. You know, we don't want to deal with this. We don't, we'll talk to you about that next year. 
when there is a review, when there is a blah, 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 we'll put it in the pot, maybe whatever. And guess what? You don't have executive presence. You don't have confidence. You don't do, you know, so it becomes that, that kind of thing. These two people, what they did was they actually sat down together and the, her male colleague helped her put together her case to ask for the pay rise. How wonderful is that? Do you know? And that's part of being able to communicate and, and not be confrontational and just say, wait a minute, just, you know, wait a minute. This is not okay. And this is what can be done about it, right? I read very recently an article on LinkedIn, I believe, that was arguing that it's actually okay to discuss salaries openly. There's no shame about it. And uh, this would be something that the companies have actually came up with just to prevent people to discuss the topic. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I agree 100%. Uh, you know, there's, I'm very interested in uh, public discourse around issues that are sort of supposedly taboo. And one of them is absolutely salaries. The other one is um, the idea of how we behave with money, you know, like, what do you do with it? <laughs> But it's again, it's this idea of talking about these really important things in a very factual and uh, relaxed manner, non-accusatory, enabling, so that we don't end up broke, so that we don't end up without choice in life, and so we don't end up without dignity. You know, this is all linked, right? I would love to enable women to have their best life. Yeah? How about it? Nima, I feel that this podcast interview is becoming a one-to-one -one coaching session, so I thank you for that. Some statement might have sounded a bit extreme and brutal, but uh, those stats unfortunately says it all, which means that, as you say, it's crucial to create awareness in order to take informative choices. But choices could be unlimited. So what does unlimited mean to you? I love your name. I love it. I love the concept and the idea and, and what you're doing in this space. It is brilliant. Well... It's brilliant, only thanks to unlimited women like you that believed in us and are here to support us. That's where our being unlimited truly stands. But from your own perspective, what does unlimited represent? For me personally, it is, it, it is this core knowledge that we are equal as people. And I say that because um, women might use the word, oh, I'm equal, I'm equal but they don't behave it, okay? And again, it's not their fault, you know? It is not their fault. It's what they've been exposed to, the modeling, the systems, yada, yada. Unlimited to me only comes when people have an intrinsic truth in the center of them, in the core of them that says, I am equal, I am equal. And when we believe that we are truly equal as people, as humans, that is when we allow ourselves to be unlimited, mm -hmm. to go for something, to strip away some sort of boundary or barrier, to question things, to say, wait a minute, and then to do it yourself. Yeah. Unlimited is about, it comes from a, a place of comfort. Mm -hmm. You are comfortable with who and what you are. And you are an equal to another person, regardless of gender or race or anything like that. 
we are equal. Yeah. So that I love the term. I love the term. It is so huge because it's so deep and simple. Incredible, Nima. Truly, I have no other words. It's been a real honor having you with us today. Thank you for bringing your energy. I won't say your confidence. Thank you. It has been a pleasure. And I am watching you guys. I, I love the site. I love the, the uh, content, the feel, the look, the, the presence of it. You know, again, it's that word presence. Beautiful, wonderful. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for listening. We hope you found it inspiring and fulfilling. Please subscribe to Unlimited on your favorite podcast app so you won't miss out on our next stories. To learn more about our content, please log on to our website and follow us at unlimited.me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and help us building a truly unlimited community. Thank you.